The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. This is the Friday before the Bills season opener against the Pittsburgh Steelers in Orchard Park on Sunday. We'll talk a little bit later on with Joel Staniszewski from a betting standpoint on that game. And uh, he'll probably have some other uh, suggestions on what to bet on this weekend. And uh, as we've said many, many times on the show, you can make money with Joel's picks. And we are going to actually track them this year to make sure uh, we can put a monetary figure on it this time. Not just the record, but we're going to take bets. Uh, and, uh, and so that way we can say at different points, had you been betting X, you would have made Y by now. But before we get to Joel Staniszewski, uh, and of course, I'm here with uh, Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic and also Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. Um, Matthew, is this your last time on the show? Do we know that? I mean, as a, as a full-fledged F, uh, explain to the people who maybe haven't seen on social media what is going on with you. Yeah. If you, if you would, please. Yeah. So I uh, accepted a job a week ago today, almost um, around this time um, to cover the Patriots for the athletic. And so I'll be moving to New England at some point permanently, probably in the next month or two. I'll be back and forth in the meantime. So my time covering the bills has effectively ended. I'll be at the Patriots Dolphins game this weekend. Um and I, you know, I'm really hoping that my time as a full-fledged F is not over. I mean, that would kind of break my heart, but. Um, yeah, you're that. always, you have tenure. You are a full-fledged F, uh, same as Mike Rodak, same as Joe Licata, but it could be different from now on. You are, you have other obligations. Yes. And, you know, I think there will be, there will be times for us to, to link up and, you know, do these do these shows. And I just don't know if people will, uh, will need my full-time thoughts anymore, you know, on, on matters that typically get discussed on the show. Although sometimes some of these shows aren't totally Buffalo focused. Some of them are broader. Um, and you know, um, Gene, um, you know, uh, uh, who helps sponsor the show is, he tweeted at me saying he hopes I, I remain, you know, an, an AF. And so, you know, I'm, I feel like I have the backing of management here. So uh, I'm probably going to weasel my way on as much as possible. And, uh, you know, the Patriots and Bills play one another twice a year and, and all that, um, you know, and I've, I've been telling a lot of people, you know, it's been kind of overwhelming all the attention and, you know, the, the responses when the news was announced yesterday. And when I started sharing it earlier this week, 
I think, you know, my wife and I and, you know, our family are going to be back in the area enough that uh, people aren't going to have a chance to miss us. And I plan to pop into this show enough that that people don't have a chance to miss me, if any of them would even miss me at all. So, um, you know, this place has become home for us. My wife's family's all from here. It's it's not a bad drive. We've been doing it a lot, um, you know, since we started dating with uh, my family being from uh, Massachusetts and a lot of them still be in there. So we're going to be back quite a bit. Um, you know, we're going to be back in December for Monday night football. Um, you know, we'll probably spend a little extra time here with that lining up with the Patriots bye week. Um, you know, I got some parental leave to use and, uh, my wife can work remotely. So, you know, I imagine there'll be, there'll be quite a bit of, of time spent in Western New York. It's crazy to think how much this place feel, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you must be excited to go home. And yeah, there's an element of that, but um, feels like I'm leaving home in a lot of ways. And definitely wouldn't have thought that when I came here as a, as a 22 year old, you know, fresh out of school, you know, kind of just getting my feet wet, but it's, it's a pretty special place and it's, it's going to be surprisingly hard to leave. Jonah, I interrupted you uh, earlier. Uh, you were saying something. I don't know if you had a, a thought to finish there. My thought was that not only is he an F of the show, but he's an MF of the show. The MF. That's true. Um, Thank you for letting but, me make that point. Yeah, right. I, well, I wanted to, I think I stepped on your line. So I wanted just to clear a path there because uh, it's, it's a winner. It's a winner of a line. Uh, so, Matthew, what's uh, how do you dig into this then? Uh, the, the Patriots, as you mentioned, are about to start their season again. They open with the Dolphins. Uh, you're going to be at that game, as you mentioned. But I guess what's your thought process on switching beats? You have this built up knowledge on the Bills. And yes, you do get to uh, use that as a foundation and you will be leaning on a lot of that. Some of the same sources that you've had regarding, you know, whether it be agents, uh, experts, analysts, uh, analysts, um, ideas that have worked, uh, that you can carry over to this Patriots beat, but it is a totally new team. What's, what are your, can you share your thoughts and, and how you're sorting through that? Yeah. Apologies. If you can hear the dog in the background, it wouldn't be, Hudson a, always it wouldn't has be a, a farewell episode. Uh, if, are you if bringing you the dog or leaving it behind like Andrew Cuomo? Uh, uh, no, we're, we are, he is very much, uh, we have thought about him a lot, probably, to, you know, over the top amount in this move, um, you know, in terms of our accommodations there and activities that we're going to, you know, have to, you know, include him in to, to make sure this, the transition is smooth, but yeah, it's kind of a, a thing task starting a new beat, right? Like, um, you know, you've done it a few times in your career, Tim, like, it's weird to have seven years under my belt in one place and kind of start over somewhere new. But I do think, like you said, a lot of the strategies, a lot of the sourcing, a lot of the uh, idea generating translates from one to the next. It's still a football team. Uh, it's still, uh, you know, an NFL team. A lot of people during the, the process of talking about this job were warning me about the lousy access in New England and, you know, how tough it is to crack in and break news. But uh, in a way, you know, the Bills are a team that's very good with access, you know, and, and Brandon Bean has has certainly 
been extremely helpful over the years, uh, you know, always open to a good story idea and, and talking about stuff. But a lot of the best stories, when I look back at, you know, my time at the athletic, a lot of it is stuff that, you know, you're calling people that aren't in the building, right? You're, you're finding different ways to tell stories. And I think that's really the foundation of what I do. And I hope that will translate, you know, a lot of the access in New England is canned stuff. And I think in the time of COVID, that's been the case um, for a lot of sports is you're going to get group access and you're going to get stuff on Zoom or WebEx in the the case of the Patriots. Um, So it's like, how do you break away from that? And, you know, like you said, there's, you know, agents and various sources and, you know, the telephone's a powerful thing. You, You get up and call people that you haven't even met and, you know, that, that want to tell a story and, you know, there's, there's creative ways into every angle. And I think this era of Patriots football in particular is going to be pretty fascinating. You know, they've got a young quarterback. I've got plenty of experience, you know, with that, you know, and all the story angles that, that, you know, kind of spring from having a young quarterback developing, but also just this era of Bill Belichick's career, how long it will go, what happens afterwards. I find it to be, you know, one of the most interesting stories in football whenever it does come to be. And I think, how are, how are you gearing up mentally to cover Bill Belichick? Because there's a mystique there. And I think it's probably not as bad. And I have actually in a, in a different way than a beat writer, but I cover, I covered Belichick for three years, technically when I was covering the AFC East uh, at ESPN. Um, I, I actually had pretty good success in in communicating through the, or, you know, with the organization and, and about that, but, but there is a, there's a reputation there that I'm sure is intimidating to when you think I have to go deal with this every day now. Yeah. I at least had, I had three other teams that could maybe uh, you, that I could concentrate on. I didn't have to get frustrated that I couldn't, you know, that I didn't have Bill Belichick's cell number. Uh, whereas I've had other coaches uh, cell numbers. Um, but the idea of, of every day has to be a different, different thing. Yeah. It's an interesting dynamic, I think, because I think probably the most like direct impact it will have is just, and not that I, you know, I don't think I was not this way with Sean McDermott or, or Brian Dable or other coaches, you know, that I've dealt with, but the, it's clear that the right type of question can get answer out of Bill Belichick. And I feel like that will be a puzzle every day to figure out how to ask questions, what types of questions to ask, you know, he's not as dry and as uninformative as, you know, people make him out to be, you just kind of have to, you know, like you said, communicate with him in the right way and kind of, you know, find the right, the right in and the right, you know, topic to get him going. And you can't lean on, and, you know, it's not really my strategy or, or style anyways, to lean on whatever the coach says in a press conference or whatever players say in press conferences as the crux of your coverage anyways. But certainly the dynamic, the back and forth is going to be important to, you know, extracting information and, you know, talking to people around the team and stuff like that. So, yeah, there's a certain 
mystique to it. But as I explained, you know, it's another dynamic that people warned me about with the team is, you know, it's a completely different beast dealing with Belichick. I didn't have the warmest, fuzziest relationship with Sean McDermott, um, you know, over the last few years. So, and he's not super um, informative in press conference settings either. So uh, I think that was a little bit of training for how to work around it. Obviously there won't be a, a Brandon Bean in, uh, in New England, you know, some guy won the Oregon award. He's about as, uh, as good with the media as you can be, but I don't know. I, I found a lot of joy over the last few years telling stories. I had an old, old college professor tell me I was working on a profile of Gary Pinkle. I had been assigned before they played Toledo. And, you know, I asked, that's where Gary Pinkle used to work. Um, you know, old Mizzou coach came from Toledo, worked there with Nick Saban. They were hosting Toledo and it was like, this was going to be our preview section story. And, you know, I asked the Mizzou SID, you know, you think, you know, I could get Gary, you know, one-on-one -on -one for a while to talk about this. And he's like, well, he only talks about the next opponent. And, you know, my deadline was, you know, earlier than that. So it was like, well, um, you know, my editor was just like, who cares? Gary Pinkle's not that interesting. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't say anything like go talk to some other people about Gary Pinkle. And, you know, I had fun with stories like that where, you know, somebody won't talk, talk to everybody around that person or as many people around that person as you can and try to tell stories that way, tell, find interesting angles, interesting things like that. So it'll be a, an interesting dynamic with, with Belichick, but I also think the way we do things at the athletic makes it so that I don't need to, fret too much about the day-to-day -day interactions with Bill Belichick as much as I do finding interesting stories and teaching people stuff about their team. Did you happen to talk to Gary Pinkle's cousins that live in Buffalo? I didn't. I didn't even, I didn't know that that was a connection of his. Um, I had fun with that Toledo story with Gary, you know, uh, on Gary Pinkle. Gary was an interesting, interesting fellow. Um, quite, quite the ball coach for, for the Tigers over the years, but he, um, he became a lot more, you know, open to talking and, you know, saying interesting things once he retired. Well, it's a big uh, sports weekend. Uh, obviously it's, uh, well, wait, let me step, let me not transition to, uh, to my next segment yet, because that was, uh, we were talking about your departure and then we started having a journalism discussion and it no longer felt like we were talking about your departure. So let me go back and with some, some thoughts. So number one is somebody with familiarity on that beat, uh, and having worked with a lot of the people on that beat, um, I know that you're going to go out there and do awesome work. And you are going to be missed here quite a bit. And um, that obviously, yes, we do still have this connection and, and you'll be on the podcast and we'll see each other. And, uh, you know, when I'm out there and you're out here and all that good stuff, but uh, you will be missed uh, in the daily coverage, the day to day um, constant presence. And I think sometimes uh, writers uh, can get taken for granted when they've been so good for so long. Uh, that, um, you know, I think people probably got a little too used to the fact that Matthew Fairburn was always going to have something good, uh, online that day. And, uh, now that you're, that's going away, people are really going to notice and miss it. And, 
but I'm also thrilled you're not leaving the company. So at least we get to still be teammates. Um, but we'll, we'll save a, a more emotional or a teary goodbye for, for some other time because you w- will be going back and forth for the next month, which uh, I'm sure is going to be thrilling. Um, oh, yeah, lots of time on the – I'm going to have to get used to not calling it the 90 and calling it the pike, but they're, it's kind of both, uh, the throughway. Boring drive, quick drive, but a boring drive. Um, yeah, not my favorite. But um, – but anyway, we're going to miss you. Uh, I know it's not, uh, you're going to be back on the show, but I know that obligations and scheduling and all that type of stuff, it just won't be as easy to, uh, uh, to make it uh, as, as a regular. So uh, you got a lot on your plate and uh, I know you'll, as the kids say, crush it. That's what, it, you know, it's, I'm going to miss a lot about, being here and, you know, being on the beat every day and um, surprising amount of, you know, you get, you know, everything's kind of a whirlwind when you're making decisions like these and you're hoping for clarity as much as you can get it. And it's kind of impossible until you decide, right. And take a jump and, you know, see what's out there. And that's when you realize like, Oh crap, there's a lot of like random little things and, you know, people, you know, that I'm going to miss and, um, it's comforting that, like you said, I'm staying at the company. Um, we're going to be back a bunch. It's in the division. As far as change goes, it's not as drastic as it could be. Uh, it should be noted too, because and Jonah and I were talking about this a few nights ago. Yes. The bills are a better team than the Patriots right now, but let me be clear. This is a, this is a major promotion because we are in the media Boston is a huge media market. Yes, they, the Patriots might not even make the playoffs this year. And while the Bills are a Super Bowl contender, yes, Matthew might be missing out on a chance to cover a Super Bowl team, uh, all that stuff. However, this is a promotion and it speaks to what the athletic thinks of Matthew's work, that there is an opening on the Patriots beat and they wanted Matthew to, they're, they're moving Matthew, um, physically, financially, the whole thing to one of the three or four premier beats in the entire NFL. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm kind of glad you brought it up because there were, there was a lot of, like I said, a lot of attention yesterday, a lot of reaction, uh, most of which I'm just like, I'm not comfortable with. I think anybody who has gotten to know me over the years, um, just kind of not my, my deal. <laughs> like it was kind of overwhelming. A lot of, you know, really nice things that people said, um, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the Boston folks already in my mentions uh, ready to mix it up, which is fine. Uh, you know, I'm going to have to develop some of that uh, Tim Graham wit on the, uh, on the comebackers. <laughs> yeah. and, no, <laughs> don't do that. I think but, you, uh, got, you can get away with it in Buffalo. I don't know if you can get away with it there. Yeah, you but, probably uh, can. I, yeah, Tom Curran does it. Uh, I think, yeah, I think, uh, yeah. Yeah, you got to be able to, you know, right. push back once in a while and, and show them that you're not going to be a pushover. But, yeah, it it's weird because when I started this, it seemed like there was a career ladder, right? And, you know, the idea of certain jobs or whatever, and so much has just got shuffled up. And, you know, you and I talk about this a lot, about, you know, certain opportunities have popped up over the years, and you never know what, the right thing to do is and you know yeah sure i'll still be on a beat 
um, you know, of course there's people out there. I don't think many listeners of this show, but people out there that are like, Oh man, I thought you were a, thought you were a bills fan or a Buffalo guy. And like, you're going to the right, like, what are you doing? And I mean, that's not how the job works. Right. <laughs> like, you know, um, I'm going to, I will be, you know, as neutral on the Patriots as, as I was on the bills. And, um, I think there's just a part of me that thought if I didn't take the jump, I would have thought about it, you know, for, for a while. And, you know, having grown up there, interned there, the market is a beast. It's a different animal. Uh, the eyeballs, the, the exposure, no matter how good the team is, like the Patriots are good. The Patriots are bad. There's still a huge story. Um, and there's a part of me that thought like, oh man, the bills are going to be in the spotlight this year. And I've got all this sourcing and I've, you know, built up a lot of these relationships. This could be also an opportunity. It was not an easy decision by any means. It just felt like the type of chance that doesn't come around a lot to, to kind of bet on yourself and see how you can hack it in the, in the big market. And, you know, it's a, I think it's a huge credit to bills fans and, you know, the readership here and everything that I even got this chance because I took a chance on a six month part-time non-permanent job uh, when I came out of college and the response from Bill's fans was strong enough that I got hired permanently. The athletic noticed me and now they're, you know, trusting me on, on a really important beat. So it's, you know, I, I, I just can't say enough about like what the last seven years have done for my career, what, what working with, with you and all the talks the three of us have had on and off this podcast. Like I've just learned a lot and I feel ready, a lot more ready for this than I would have, you know, four or five years ago. So we'll see what happens. It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting move. It's going to be a, a tough transition, um, probably more so personally than professionally, but it will be, uh, you know, that's some of the things that were rattling around in my head as far as like the professional opportunity was just like, that is, you know, as far as sports markets go, I don't know, it's got to be top three, top four. Um, it's, it's up there. And, you know, I think the challenge and the opportunity was, was pretty exciting. Yeah. I don't blame you one bit. I can't be upset about it other than that. I'm going to miss working with you, but uh, it's one of those jobs you got to go after when it comes up. Um, especially at this stage, you don't have kids in school yet and all that stuff, all those, all those, uh, things that, uh, cement where you're, where you are. Um, that was a big thing too. It's like our son is two months old, moving with a two month old, not, a not an exciting proposition, but it's, we kind of figured if we're going to take a chance, this is when we're going to take a chance. And, you know, we, kind of have that four to five year window to figure out where we want, you know, to, to put our boy in school and, you know, where we want to be permanent home, but um, it's been here the or there for us. What was that? You are bringing the baby with you. That's the plan so far. Um, you know, uh, yeah, the, the baby and the dog are coming with, it'd be a lot, a uh, lot smoother of a move without a baby and a dog, but it's uh, uh, we're pot committed there. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it's um, yeah, it's, you know, it gives, we always thought, you know, after wandering eyes at different jobs and things like that, that it was like, we're going to end up in Buffalo or New England, 
just because of family and, and friends in the in both areas. And it was like, well, if we want clarity, the only way to do it is to get, is to go and, and to try it and to see what it's like and, and try out the job. And, and, you know, um, best case scenarios, it's a, a long, fruitful, um, you know, good place for us to live. Um, but I think as probably a lot of people know, a lot of people listening to this podcast, it's like you're so, you included, I mean, Buffalo, Buffalo has a way of keeping its claws in people. Um, so, you know, we'll be back a lot and, you know, it'll all, it'll always feel like home here. Well, let's, let's end the discussion there. Uh, we're going to talk to Joel Staniszewski about uh, betting on Steelers at Bills on Sunday. And then we'll come back after Joel and we'll wrap things up. I, we, I want to talk about uh, UB playing at Nebraska, uh, some, uh, some stadium discussion uh, that uh, Jonah proposed that I think is interesting. And um, and a couple other uh, odds and ends. But uh, Matthew, again, thank you for being such a, a great F. You are a permanent F. And uh, I'm grateful for, for the friendship and the team work. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next. Much love. The Force Fed Lies remix. That means only one thing. Joel Staniszewski is on the line from Vegas to talk to us about Sunday's season opener, Steelers at Bills in Orchard Park. Joel Staniszewski, thanks for joining us and uh, starting this ride yet again of uh, analyzing these Bills games from a betting perspective. Thanks, uh, thanks again for doing this. Thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure to be here with this crew of dudes. Looking forward football. to charting these picks uh, all year. I, I'm, trying to I'm figure, looking forward to. Yeah, we're looking and we'll figure out, we'll quantify how much money Joel Staniszewski can make for you. Um, this is not a paid service. He is not here to tout. He does not have a 1-900 number or a website. The guy's not even on Twitter. Joel does this out of the goodness of his experienced betting heart uh, as a devoted Buffalo Bills fan from Sloan who went to Buff State and went out to Las Vegas and has had a career as an analyst, a handicapper, an odds maker. And uh, here we are, 2021 about to start. Joel, I'll set the stage for you by giving out the numbers. Uh, the Bills are six and a half point favorites over the Steelers. The total 48 and a half. Um, it opened Bills five and a half. So obviously the public uh, likes Buffalo in this game quite a bit, but the un, uh, the total has actually gone down. I'm, I'm Before we get into the spread, why do you think the total has gone down? Because you have a high flying team and the Steelers, even if you think Ben Roethlisberger's uh, shot, um, to have it go down two and a half points is interesting to me. Yeah, I would be leery of the opening number. Um, a lot of times books. So when you look at a, a third party site like Vegas Insider, anything that's going to give you those numbers, um, the second anyone puts a number up, that's what the opening number is. 
So there's times where they can put a number up and then they can put it on, turn it on so that it shows up. And then they want to wait and see where the offshore numbers settle, where the other books come in and, and then open it up. So if, if um, it says 51, I mean, that's kind of what you have to go with when you're looking at opening numbers. Uh, but that, that seems really high. So from what I've seen, the numbers of bets that are coming in are more on the over. So I would assume it was just the number settling, not necessarily that they put that up and that was the starting number where they were taking bets on. Gotcha. Uh, okay, so what do you think about this Bills game? At uh, six and a half right now, Steelers coming in to Highmark Stadium, some question marks after the way things ended for them, losing the last, I think, five out of six after going deep into the season undefeated. Uh, what's, your, what's your sense on, on this number, six and a half? I, I think that's the right number. Uh, I, I tried to go through most, if not all, of the games, and I picked um, who I liked and what number I liked, like side and total, for literally every game, just based upon looking at the number, not digging into it, not looking at any metrics or anything like that, just based upon first glance what I thought. And this particular game, I thought the number was right at six and a half. I thought the total was close at 48 and a half, which is where it's been pretty much hanging out for, for a while now. And my first thought when I saw it was Bills and under. And I mentioned that last week, even though we weren't talking about week one, we were talking about futures and whatnot, but I did mention Bills and I did, I think I might've even said under, and I still feel that same way after going and doing some research and some kind of looking through, um, you know, last couple of games. I know, as I've mentioned in the past, Betting week one is difficult. You, you know, you, you can base it upon, you have a little bit more information this year than you did last week with training camps and preseasons and, and, and actually rookies and, and second year players now getting a full camp, full off season. Um, so I think you have a little bit more information this year than you did last year, but starting off trying to pick games before you see the health of Ben Roethlisberger or, um, Carson Wentz, if when you see, you know, these players that have been injured, even Dak Prescott yesterday. Uh, so when, when you see these, these players playing that are questionable-ish with their injuries and coming off of and getting older and getting older in, in their ages and, and getting longer in the league, uh, Emmanuel Sanders, that's another one. Like, if you think he's our number two receiver, you're not necessarily sure – how much he's going to play or if he's going to play at all. So you kind of got to take that into account. Now, granted, a receiver, with the exception of, like, Kelvin Johnson, doesn't affect the spread. But it could affect how you view the team performing without that player. What information have you been looking at in this game that, that gets you to, the, uh, to take the Bills uh, to go ahead and give, give Pittsburgh six and a half points and, uh, and the under? So looking at um, last couple of games, uh, last seven games, Pittsburgh was two and five uh, against the spread. Um, Bills are nine and two against the spread. Their last 11 games. Now, both teams in their recent history tells you that they're over teams. Um, and as I've mentioned in the past, I'm not a huge totals better. 
I'm going to put in but my. We have to give the people what gonna, they want. And we're going to track it, of course. But it's not something that I'm as confident in as I am when I pick sides. Um, Bills are seven and zero. Their last seven games at home. Um, they, they, I just feel that Pittsburgh is on the back end of being a dominant team, and the Bills are on the upswing of being a dominant team at home. Home opener, full crowd. It's going to be insane there. So I think that's another thing. When especially when you're factoring in Najee Harris, a rookie. Um, playing in his first NFL game, and it's going to be a madhouse. Now, granted, he's played in big, huge capacity college football games, but I feel like once you take it to that next level, it becomes a whole new thing. And uh, I just think it's going to be harder um, for Pittsburgh to to run the ball. And um, I don't know if Ben Roethlisberger has the arm talent anymore, and he definitely doesn't have the leg talent to to get out of there and, and shrug off sacks and, and get some positive yards on the ground. So I just feel like um, the the Steelers, as we saw them, I don't know, we'll say 10 years ago when they were just dominant, I feel like that's how the Bills are right now. And um, the Steelers just aren't as a complete a team as they were last year. And we saw what happened when the Bills and the Steelers played last year. Um, so I just think that the, the Bills as a whole have gotten better and Pittsburgh just kind of stayed the same and kind of probably dropped a little bit in the talent department with, with age. Joel, um, as we look at, I know you, you usually give us some other picks, um, you know, from around the league, but I'm, as you know, Tim is now threatening to track these picks and keep track of your, your profit and what you're doing for the people. It might be helpful and this might just be selfishly as somebody who may follow these picks uh, this year, may or may not. Um, how do you go about, like, what's your strategy for your bankroll and how you choose how many games to bet each week and where you kind of allocate your funds? I imagine as somebody who does it regular, regularly like you do, there's some long-term strategy. You talk all the time when we talk about totals, how you hate having that money tied up. So how do you kind of strategize going into each season and then going into each week? So I, I think with, with going into the weeks and, and betting week by week, when you look at, like I said, when you look at the games and you think, okay, well, this team's going to win. This is a, a, just based upon feel. When I look at these two names side by side, I think these two te- this team is going to win. Then when you go in and you do some digging and you look at simulation sites, you look at ELO tracking, you track injuries, you track um, new coaching staffs in place, you're talking about rookies in bigger roles, you, you kind of factor all of those things in. And then sometimes those games that you thought were an easy pick are now going the other way. So I think the best way to do it is if you pick and you go through and you pick your, your games and you look at what games you think are an advantage for you as the better and you like four games, then you bet four games. If you like seven games, then you bet seven games. Because if you pick seven games in your head, but then you're like, well, I only max out at four bets and those are the four you play and you go, you go two and two, but the other three also win, then you're going to be mad at yourself 
because you should have played them all. And then the next week, you're going to be chasing that money, and you're going to like four games, but you're going to think, you know what, let me throw three more in there to try to get that money back that I lost last week. And that's just a, a really bad uh, habit to get into where you're chasing money. So I think the main thing is, is, is set your bankroll, whether that's season-long bankroll or a weekly bankroll or monthly, however you want to bet it. Bet in the same increments that you always want to bet in, $100, $200, $12, whatever that is. Bet that and be consistent. Consistency is the key here. When you're trying to find and what you think is an advantage, you're getting the best of a number. You bet it. You bet your same uh, uh, you know, amount per game, and then you just kind of let it ride. And don't look at it from a day-to-day or a week-to-week or – I lost these early games. I'm going to double down on these late games. I've lost these games. I'm going to bet more on Monday night. You know, from working in sports books, I've had owners and and directors that are screaming because we lost a million dollars on a game. They're just going berserk. And they don't, they're not looking at big picture. Even these, these are the owners of these companies and they're going berserk because we lost a bunch of money on a, on a Sunday night game. But we're saying, yeah, we lost a million dollars on this game, and that's, that's unfortunate. But we also won $7 million earlier today. So don't worry about one game. Don't worry about one week. You're talking, look at it big picture, monthly, season long, and, and, and just be consistent. And consistency will keep you afloat. Yeah, every now and then. Set you free. No. I'm sorry, yeah. Matthew. I stepped on you there. What was that? consistency will set you free and it's nice to have you know joel what joel is preaching is responsible gambling right we like people to enjoy their vices responsibly on this show so i appreciate him uh you know underscoring that now i might preach responsibility and being consistent but i'm also not perfect so i can recall just a couple of months ago betting like the dodgers and for like a hundred dollars and they lost. And I was like, you lost like as a $2 favorite. And I invested 200 to win. So I'm like, you know what I'm going to do just to prove myself wrong. I'm going to bet 400 the next game. And guess what? They lost the next game. So by the third game, I'm investing like $1,200 to get back all the money that I lost. And I know you're not supposed to do this. I'm well aware, but I'm also like just a stubborn asshole. So I'm just like, no, I'm going to keep betting until I get all my money back. And then, of course, it, eventually you're going to win if you have enough bankroll. So finally it hits, and I was like, all right, fine. I'm going to take a break and just not bet any games, you know, for a couple of months. And I, and I did a, just sprinkle a couple in here and there. Um, there's a UFC fighter who's, who's from Las Vegas, and I see him around a lot. He's friends with some of my friends. He just fought this past weekend, won uh, as a plus $1.45 favorite. So that was a nice little, little cash there. So just, you know, and again, still being consistent. So um, as I said, I have a, a UFC fighter that I'm acquaintances of, friend of a friend, $1.45 favorite, look, saw him looking totally jacked more than I'd seen him before as a $1.45 favorite. And I thought, oh, I could bet a lot here and try to really start my, my football season off strong. But I also knew consistency is key. Don't, don't get crazy. Don't go on some $500 bet when you're a hundred dollar better. If it hits great, that's awesome. But if it doesn't, now you're just chasing. And so, you know, don't want to chase scared money is losing money. So don't do that. 
I like Joel's strategy. He's, he saw a UFC fighter looking totally jacked. So he, he went for <laughs> as if, you know, there's a lot of slobs walking around the UFC. I'm sure the guy he, he was uh, going up against was slamming beers and, you know, looking real soft. I don't know. But, and hey, like whatever works. Three days, three days after he won that fight, he came to see the end of everything playing a show. So I can't really, I can't hate on him at all. You know, it, it, it was awesome. Where do you factor crowd noise uh, at places like Kansas City, Seattle, New Orleans, uh, Buffalo? Uh, but after last year, you kind of had to remove home field from, well, maybe you, you, it was a lighter consideration than in the past. And I know at most places it, do, it doesn't matter, but there are those handful of stadiums where home field really does factor in. Um, so what do you, how do you look at that, Joel? What's your general thought heading into this season where, you know, the fans are going to be maybe a little more lubed up and, and crazy? Yeah, as we've, as we've mentioned in the past, um, traveling is a big thing. You know, going from West Coast to East Coast, traveling 2,500 miles versus 150 miles, huge difference. Uh, playing in these stadiums that you know is going to be really loud um, yeah, of course, Buffalo is going to be really loud. It's probably top five loudest stadiums, I would say. But also keep in mind that there's going to be 20% Steelers fans there too. So with a short drive, a short travel, you know, you have to also factor in that type of stuff too, especially like now the Las Vegas Raiders. Every game that they play, half of the crowd is going to be for the other team, at least. It started that way with the Golden Knights. When, when, I would, when I went to see the Golden Knights against the Sabres uh, in their inaugural season, it was like 10 games into the season. And more than half of the arena was in Sabres gear. And like I was walking around like feeling like I was in Buffalo, like I was just seeing everybody in Sabres gear. And as, of course, their, their wins went up and, and they continued to be a really good team, the, the, the fans kind of came around and became more Vegas Golden Knights fans. But – you know, that, that's a thing. So people will travel from Pittsburgh. It's a short drive, what, like two and a half hours from Pittsburgh to Buffalo. So there'll be some Steelers fans there, but there, it'll definitely be loud. And a, a loud, a really, really loud crowd can affect the other team, you know, a couple false starts here and there, wasting a timeout because they couldn't get a play call in. Um, you know, just little things here and there. But there's a lot of times where a close game, a little thing is a huge difference. You know, you just think about one false start on a third and 10 when they're backed up in their own, you know, inside their own 20. That's going to be a huge swing of field position. So these are just things that I think you just kind of always factor in. You don't sit there and think like, well, they're in Seattle. It's going to be loud. They're going to have to win because it's not always the case. But if you're factoring crowd noise, you're factoring the Patriots flying across the country, you're factoring, you know, it's one of those things that kind of adds up to kind of make you feel more comfortable with your bet that you've decided on, but not necessarily a, a breaking point. Like, yeah, this is the bet I'm going to make solely because of, of crowd noise. One thing to note with the crowd Sunday is that in many years, there's been 10, 20,000 Steeler fans at games in Buffalo between these two teams, but being the home opener, the way tickets are sold, the first, full stadium game in two years, I think you're not going to see nearly as many yellow towels in that crowd that you would have in really any other year that Pittsburgh played. I know some teams, 
they, they, in order to buy tickets, you have to like your area, your zip code has to be within X miles of the stadium. And I don't know if that was just in, in, in hockey or if that was in, in football. Yeah, that's also. generally a, that's a playoff thing. Then you get, in, you get into the playoffs. I think some colleges have tried that, but that's not something that the NFL does. I think with this game, it has more to do with the weather. There's going to be more tickets on the secondary market for a Buffalo game in November or December than the home opener. You know, for sure. Agreed. And buy for sure. Yeah. And people have yeah. been waiting so long to get into that stadium that if you got a ticket, they're not going to sell it. Although I was just talking to a gentleman last night who's a season ticket holder and he's torn. Um, he's going to go to the game, but he feels that if he were to sell his two tickets, it would pretty much pay for the rest of his season. It's the hockey it's the, it's the, what you Sabres fans are used to doing, getting their season tickets, selling off those Toronto Maple Leaf and, and Canadians games. And it, uh, it funds the, the endeavor for the, for the other 40 or 36 games or however many. Um, yeah. Your Steelers ticket is probably going to go for a couple of bucks. If you, if you want to sacrifice being there, uh, if you well, can, and why, well, why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you want to pay for, the whole season when there's eight more games, possibly playoff because games. people because they want to be there. I mean, I yeah, think I mean, it's just yeah. Like, why do you buy tickets, right? Like, it, I think it all comes down to the individual. Like, there's probably a lot of people thinking this might be the most anticipated home opener in 25 years. That'd be safe to say. And post COVID, I mean, not post. Hard to say post COVID since we're still kind of slogging through it, but. First time the stadium will be full since 2019. It'll be a memorable day at the stadium to some. Uh, that means something. That's part of why they have the tickets to others. Perhaps like Jonah, it would be like, well, I can uh, turn a quick little profit here and pay for the rest of my games. I mean, I know there's, I think there's people in New England going through that with the game that Tom Brady comes back, right? You could get a ridiculous amount of money for that Bucks Patriots ticket. But do you also kind of – I feel like if you're a season ticket holder, part of what you do that for is for the the memories and being able to say you're there at these important moments in football history, and that's going to be one of them. So it's a, I'm sure it's a conversation most people have. You know, you're, you're sitting there saying, well, my first game of the year is going to be – it's not going to be that Steelers game that everybody's all jacked up about, but when the Washington football team comes to town, I'm there. It's like, well, you know, that's a, uh, that's a little bit, the same a little bit tougher, you know? So I get it. I get it on both ends. You could bankroll I, your uh, whole betting bankroll with selling. Right. Tickets. You can, you can get great. My, my brother and sister and I are, we're always texting and we have tickets to the Texans game. And we were talking just, just last night about how the ticket prices for the bills are like average ticket price is like over $400. So I asked, I asked them like, what's the, dollar amount that we could sell our tickets for that you would sell it for and my sister said a thousand and i said i'm probably at between a thousand and fifteen hundred like if i could sell my ticket that i bought for 150 dollars for 1500 i mean i probably would i think I it just... could get up there because it's the return of david cully uh it's you know the fans are gonna be tyron lather to see david cully come back you know the big grudge match game um no That'll be a slaughter. That's yeah. You, that game is, that's a slaughter. That's like, uh, you know, Penn state UB, you know, or whatever, you know, when it back a, a years ago and that game used to be played 
Uh, they, that's like the non the non conference college season opener. Um, Jonah does make a good point though. You could take you could sell your Steelers ticket, make what? I don't know how much profit you think you could make on your Steelers ticket. Let's say five hundred bucks. That might be conservative. Uh, put it on the the Bills minus six and a half and the under. And now you're getting paid to go to Bills games this year. You know, it's like it's like Joel's Super Bowl bet. You know, you just exactly bet the week, I bet, bet the I week bet one more. game and you're going for free. When I when I hit that UFC ticket, I put a little bit more on the Bills. It's up to twelve to one now. My first bet was at eleven to one. Uh, now I got it at, at at twelve to one. So where do you think you are all time in betting on the Bills? Are you ahead or behind in that transaction? In futures, clearly behind. Um, in games, I would say I'm probably ahead. Um, not by a lot because I don't bet them a lot. As we've talked about before, I don't want to lose money and heartbreak at the same time. Um, but I would say I'm probably up. I don't, I don't keep that close of tracks. I keep track based upon how much I deposited into my account and how much I have in my account now. So my, if I, if I, if, if I have more then I'm, I'm on a winning streak, so I'll keep that going. What other games do you want to pick for us uh, this weekend, Joel? I got actually a lot more. I wasn't expecting to have that many more, but I have – I have it on my phone because I took a screenshot of the tickets before I clicked them. I like the New York-New Jersey football giants at um, – I'm not, um, not, per- not perfectly prepared. You had all week, Joel. <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. While you're looking that up, I'll squeeze in a little statistical. Uh, I, I don't know this company, uh, but I received a, a press release uh, yesterday regarding Bill's week one ticket prices. The average ticket price right now, just to get into the, they call it the get in price. So it's averaged on every seat, $203. Um, but the average, I'm sorry, that's all season, but the, as it stands now, but the average price for the home opener is $274, 88% higher than the next priciest game against Washington football team, which is at 145. But, uh, last year season opener, uh, or I'm sorry. Well, wait, that can't be right. I'm trying to think. What were there? There weren't any fans until. This is brought to you by Amherst Pizza and Alehouse, by the way. <laughs> right. Tim's been hanging out at the Alehouse too much. See now, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to squeeze it while Joel looks for his information. I'm reading his I'm, press I'm release, ready. and I don't, I don't understand. I, it. I just needed a second. I didn't need you to. I'm to... sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry, Joel. I'm ready for you now. You want the Giants? Giants plus three. All right. Minnesota Vikings minus three. Uh huh. Lions plus eight. Colts plus three. Titans minus three. A lot of games. Jeepers. See this consistency, though. I might go one in four in these games, but got to be consistent because if I only pick one or two, and then they all hit, then I'm going to be bummed. So I'm going to right. be consistent. I'm going to play every game. I'm going to give you every game that I like, and I'm going to play every game that I like. 
we're five picks this week. I'm sorry, six picks this week, counting the Bills. So to recap, yep. take the Bills, go ahead and give the Steelers six and a half points, go under 48 and a half, then get a pen. Giants, you're taking three points. Vikings, you're giving three points. Lions, you're getting eight points. Colts, you are getting three points. Tennessee, you are giving three points. So six picks right there. Uh, for betting, uh, for quantitative uh, purposes, we will be betting $100 on each game. And we will occasionally give updates to say that had you bet the $100 on Joel's picks, you would be up or hopefully not down, but it could happen. But it hasn't happened on this show. And however many years we've been doing this, Joel always has a nice winning percentage. And it's because he doesn't pick every game. I think that's kind of the key, right? He's picking the, the select games that he likes. And uh, we are not charging you for these. This is all gratis. This is all one of the, one of the biggest F things that can be done on this show. Joel Staniszewski, a great F to Western New York giving you his expertise free of charge. Joel, thanks for this. Looking forward to uh, moving forward and through the weeks and, and charting these and um, grateful as always. Thanks. Talk to you all soon. Go Bills. Thanks as always. Uh, to Joel Staniszewski. Uh, before we go, though, uh, we are going to uh, talk about a few other items. Empty out the notebook here as we head into the weekend. And uh, as mentioned, as you may have heard the promo during the show, great sports weekend for Western New York. Uh, a lot going on. Obviously, there's the Bills game. But UB at Nebraska, uh, I would urge you to go to Amherst Pizza and Ale House to, to check that out. Amherst Pizza and Ale House, of course, uh, located in uh, Williamsville, uh, right off the 990. You can catch all the college and pro games there. Um, they have a fleet of televisions, indoor, out on the patio. Also great to get your takeout uh, at uh, 625-7100. One more time, that's 625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Ale House awarded great place to watch the games by ESPN a few years back. And uh, they have, uh, not this weekend, I don't think, uh, it's also the place you want to go to watch your pay-per-view uh, MMA and boxing matches. Um, pretty intimate setting there. It's not like uh, some of the chain restaurants where you go to watch the pay-per-view and maybe you'll see a server, maybe you won't. This is a tightly... Maybe you'll see Josh Allen at some of those chains. Right. Maybe Rodak is the reason that Amherst Pizza and Ale House made it onto ESPN's places to watch the game. Did you ever think about that? No. Is he a big pizza and ale house guy? Rodak? He's just a big Buffalo guy. So I feel like he could have gotten some sway there. And he wasn't far from the, the ale did, house. Did he write that ESPN line? I don't I'll have to go back. I'll have to dig that up. I'll dig that up and I'll find it. We'll expose. Uh, we'll find out exactly what year that was. But ESPN did a thing on sports bars and Amherst Pizza and Ale House was chosen as the Buffalo selection. And uh, I wholeheartedly endorse it. The reason, again, like Joel Staniszewski with his bets, 
he actually wagers on his picks. He will be putting his money to it. Amherst Pizza and Ale House would not be a sponsor if I didn't go in there and happen to talk to the owner who wanted to be a sponsor. So feel free to come to Amherst Pizza and Ale House and have a chance uh, at an in-person interaction with Tim Graham. This is definitely a case where the sponsor knows that no matter what happens, it is making it's making money here, I think, off of Tim Graham. It's made enough money off of Tim Graham that it's comfortable to it's comfortable enough to, to you know sponsor the show. The, yes. The Amherst Pizza and Ale House is not just Tim Graham, but the Graham family. We we get takeout from there all the time. And um, yeah, he's turned a profit, a large profit. UB at Nebraska, Jonah, what are your thoughts on this game? Um, UB, uh, yes, talented team. Nebraska, not that great. As, uh, But still, I'm guessing Nebraska has to recruit players that could just throttle UB in this game. But Well, it's a Big Ten team, Power Five, so there's definitely a difference in the level of players and recruiting classes and talent, even with – the transfer portal and how that sort of smoothed some of those things out in some ways, but it's not a very good Nebraska team. Nebraska is not, not only not ranked, but not receiving votes in the top 25 hasn't been ranked in three seasons since the beginning of three seasons ago under Scott Frost hasn't had a winning record yet under Scott Frost. Uh, but they are favored by, a, you know, between 13 and 14 points with the line is now it opened around 11. So a home game with 80 plus thousand people in a sold out stadium, is a different environment than any of these UB players are really used to, even the few of them that were on the field when UB played at Penn State two years ago. And in that game, it was a close game for a half, and then UB got blown out in the second half. That was more of a 22-point spread. So it does sort of reflect a little bit of this Buffalo team being better than it was a few years ago and more capable of winning a game like this. But UB's only beaten a Big Ten team once before. It was a Rutgers team in 2018 that was 1-11. and They've never beaten a good Power 5 on the road guarantee game. I hear they're getting $1.3 million as a guaranteed payment for playing this game. So it would be a tremendous opportunity for Buffalo to go in and get this win if they're able to. Even though it's a 14-point spread, I've seen various power rankings, things mostly coming out of last year's results, football outsiders and things like that, where these are – two equal teams and Nebraska has the home field advantage, but that might be uh, the only real advantage they have in terms of talent and productivity back from last season. Yeah. That game's going to be on the big 10 network at three 30 on Saturday. Uh, as Jonah mentioned, uh, UB 14 point underdog opened at 11. So a lot of people were banging on Nebraska early. Uh, seems to be that that's where all the money's going. Um, yeah, I, I, I was pretty impressive in that first game. I mean, it was against Wagner, which isn't a good team. They've only won like two games overall over the last several seasons. But uh, UB scored 69 points. That's the most points of any team in the country. Their 62-point win margin was the biggest of any team in the country. They're not the only team playing in FCS in the first game of the year. I think six different – five or six different FCS teams won games. So they haven't been tested yet, but – Buffalo looked pretty impressive in their first time seeing them under Mo Linguist. Let me ask you this, Jonah, about UB. Which program do you think will have 
more success moving on from its esteemed coach. And I know we've already gotten a bit of a preview of what the basketball team has done without Nate Oates. Uh, kind of our first chance to see what the football team will do uh, without Lance at the helm. But long-term, which which program do you think is better positioned to handle the transition and have more success? Well, uh... The big difference there is that the basketball team hired, ended up hiring Jim Weitzel, who was an assistant, and they did not have any players transfer out. They did lose uh, recruits that had committed already and had to re-recruit that recruiting class, but nobody transferred. So they brought back the same team with largely the same coaching staff and a lot of continuity. And they haven't won as many games and haven't been nationally ranked like they were in NATO's last season, but they have been a 20-win team and near the top of the MAC and was in the MAC championship game last year. So they've sustained a pretty good level of success that wasn't top 25 level. Now, Buffalo football was ranked in the top 25 at most of last season and in the final poll last year, but lost the entire coaching staff or had turnover for the entire coaching staff, had 12 different players in the transfer portal. About six of them were starters. About six players went to Kansas with Lance Lightpool and his staff and had a short offseason of reintroducing the new coaching staff and the new systems and the new transfer players that came in. So there's a lot less continuity, but they could sustain the success better as well or better. I mean, in a simple way, if Buffalo wins this game at Nebraska, next week they play at home against Coastal Carolina that's currently number 17, who, by the way, plays at Kansas tonight, and that game's on television. You know, you win this game. That is a neat wrinkle. I, and I want uh, just real quick, I want to mention that Coastal Carolina is kind of is going to be prepared. Over, you know, they're going to have – I'm sure they've been watching UB's film to get ready for this game because they want to see what Lance Leipold is going to do strategically. So they're going to have two game, two weeks of preparing for UB players. Right, and a good it's a good scouting opportunity for Buffalo, too, to see uh, how they play against a team where they're going to know a little bit about Lance Leipold and the players and how they run things and seeing how that matchup plays out and maybe even get uh, insight from former Buffalo coaches who might come back with scouting reports and tips to – to help them prepare for next week's game. I don't know if that'll happen, but I think there's still some good relationships that could allow for that. But so Buffalo wins, if they were to win at Nebraska, and if they were to win at home against a ranked Coastal Carolina team, uh, they might be ranked in the top 25 as soon as two weeks from now at three and zero with, with those kind of wins. And if they're not, they'll be close. They'll be receiving votes and, and maybe taking Coastal Carolina's place as one of those uh, group of five teams that's ranked. I don't know if they necessarily will pull that off, but the big impression I got from that first game, even factoring in the, you know, the strength of the opponent being very poor, was this team looked as good as they were last year. They have most of the same players back, the confidence, uh, their ability. They don't have too many young players out there. They don't have positional weaknesses that you would really point to as a problem so far right now. So I think you're really looking at a continuation of the success the team had last year. But with, you know, you lose seniors every year, but with some transfers and some seniors going to the NFL, uh, you know, they have three players on NFL rosters that were on last year's team. So that's going to be a little bit of a hit in the talent. But to answer Matt's question, I think uh, Mo Linguist and his staff has a tremendous opportunity to keep that momentum going and maybe even take it further. Um, but uh, I don't if, – if they do win a lot of games, I don't know if that staff will be here very long. So it's going to be a more – continual cycle if they get even better especially if they go to a higher level whereas with basketball 
uh, you know, they might have more long-term stability and continuity, even if they're not ranked number 12 in the country again with this coaching staff. Jonah, I know that we also wanted to get to, uh, you had some thoughts on uh, high school sports uh, here in Western New York, I guess uh, across the state uh, because of all the different uh, vaccination protocols and things. Um, as, as things begin here, um, how do you think this is going to unfold as different mask mandates are happening to schools? I'm not, not necessarily around here, but around the country, schools are closing uh, again, trying to recalibrate. Uh, do you have uh, any kind of insights as to what you think will happen in Western New York? Well, I don't really know what will happen. I have a lot of, I wouldn't call it fears, but maybe anxieties about what could happen. I, I thought about it a lot in the context of this show and the conversations we've had about uh, Bill's players being vaccinated and the few that are not. And the percentages, when you look at that, the NFL is up over 92 or I think it's up to 93% vaccinated. The Bills are somewhere in the 80s and that's considered low for an NFL team. And Well, I'll just add an update there in my Q&A that I did with uh, Brandon Bean that, was, that ran yesterday. He said they're down, they're now in the single digits of unvaccinated players. So so they're um, over 90% of the Bills. So yeah, that's what he's saying. He's in the single digits. And he said, so we, and the, the expression on his face, which can't really be captured in the Q and a, but his, he was like, his eyes bugged out is like, we, we finally moved the needle. And uh, it sounds to me is that the, maybe the shame that was heaped upon the team during the Isaiah McKenzie, uh, Cole Beasley, openly mocking being fined and that whole thing, maybe one, one more speech from the coach or somebody in the organization. It sounds like they, they at least took some steps in the, in the right direction there. Sorry, I didn't, didn't want to interrupt, well, I mean, but I just well, wanted to give the update. No, that's good. I'm glad to have the actual numbers. So that's excellent, actually, especially with we thought when they cut down the roster that that might lower the number because it seemed more high-profile starters were unvaccinated than ended the bench guys. I, and well, I do great. have a large practice squad too. And I assume that factors, that factors it, but it's also where they're not talking percentage, you know, Brandon Bean said single digit. So that's a maximum of nine unvaccinated players, which even if you count it on the 53 is still an 84% ish vaccination rate. If you count the practice squad, it's higher than that. So pretty good, but, but go ahead. all right. So what I mean is even if you take that lowest number, let's say 81% was the number a week or two ago, and that was the lower number. That's still higher than the general population, the general adult population even. Um, it's m much higher than people in an NFL player's age group, so, you know, below age 35. It's significantly higher than African-American and other minority peoples in that age group. So the NFL and, and the Bills have done a very good job of convincing players to get vaccinated that come from demographics or fall into demographics that are vaccine hesitant. And even though it's frustrating or there's a lot of hand wringing and we don't like when we see someone like Cole Beasley spreading vaccine misinformation, if the rest of the country was keeping pace with the NFL, we'd be in great shape. Now, one of the, and I was, I noticed that I went to a football game last week up in Wilson and not to, you know, shame anybody in any particular town, but that's the game I went to. I didn't see anybody wearing masks. It was outdoors. There was no, uh, policy about whether you were vaccinated or not, you enter this way or leave that way, or really just no controls in that regard. And I don't think that's very common in any high school sports settings right now. You do have to wear masks indoors, which affects some sports and other sports it does not. But if you look at vaccination rates among teenagers, 
even in New York, that's closer to 50%. It varies, I think, by area, but it's not anywhere near 70, 80% where we are with uh, adults and things like that. But we also haven't had, you know, policies in place where certain teams have to get tested before the games. You can't play unless everybody passes a test 72, 48 hours, whatever it is before the game. Or I, the CDC did come out with some, I would say, soft recommendations that, uh, you know, recreation and youth sports should only be played or can only be safely played if everybody is vaccinated. And I don't think local and state uh, jurisdictions are following that. And maybe they shouldn't. We had a whole year, a year and a half, really, where high school sports have really been disrupted. And I'm not saying everything should be put on pause, but it was a little bit alarming to see these stricter policies about going to NFL games and, and college games and whether you're wearing masks or not, and then see at the high school level where there are a lot less vaccinated people, where there's children that can't even get vaccinated in a lot of these homes. And it does seem like maybe they're a little bit more cavalier about uh, what these large groups of people can do and gather and, and be in each other's faces. And a lot of these policies were decided and set months ago before the Delta variant took hold. And we knew how much more transmissible the virus would be and become. The national case levels are higher than they've almost ever been. Um, now we have to worry about the Mu variant and whatever. Right, exactly. We'll have Sigma, Cairo, and all that stuff coming behind it. I do think a lot of the things that... Phi, uh, Chi, Psi, Omega. Well, sure. I think a lot of the things that the president announced yesterday will help in particular, you know, daily testing or frequent rapid testing that people can do at home and can do uh, on a daily basis if they want, or specifically maybe for a football game, everybody has to test the day before that would help in a lot of situations. And I think the more testing and even wearing masks becomes part of our culture for the next couple of months, will control the virus along with more vaccinations. And maybe as we get into the winter, when everything does move indoors and, it could be a more dangerous situation. We'll be in a better situation, hopefully at least locally. But I don't know. I, I wanted to talk to you guys. I guess I just monologued for 10 minutes about it. But I was curious, you know, what somebody else thought about that. Is that interesting that we're very particular? The NHL's policies are very strict. You almost can't get into the building in many ways if you're not vaccinated, or the NBA has that in certain areas. Uh, but now with younger people who are less vaccinated, less control and less worry about that. Well, you know, my, my children were fully remote last year by, because they had to be at the beginning, but even when things opened back up and we had the ability to choose, they actually were doing so well that we let them pick and they both decided they wanted to just keep doing that at home learning. So my kids just going back to school for the first time this week, Wednesday was day one. Um, I mean, I'm just saying that just as, as somebody that I haven't from a sports standpoint, really given it a lot of thought and I probably should be uh, thinking about it more. Uh, my son just texted me that he's going to the Will North football game tonight. And uh, you know, so you got a bunch of, it's not just the, the players out there. You have a lot of kids uh, in the stands and running around. And, you know, I know that when you show up at a high school football game at that age, uh, your eyes aren't just entirely on the action. You're running around and at the concession stand and. And your mouth you know. are not just on the action. What's that? Well, I'm, that I was a, maybe a uh, off color joke. 
that I told. But uh, what was it? What'd you say? By Amherst Pizza now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I missed what you said. You have to say it now. You have to repeat it. Well, what did you say? He said their eyes aren't always on the game. And I said their mouths aren't always on the game. But in a way, maybe that's what it is. You're yelling at the field. You're yelling in people's faces. You're turning. You're shouting. The cheerleaders face the crowd. And I'm not certain that that's a risky situation outdoors. But we are breathing on each other in ways that for the last 18 months we didn't really want to do. Yeah, I think that there's probably uh, part of the psychology is people are sick of having things been so different for so long that they just want to dive right back into it. And of course, that that's what drives a lot of the political discussion these days, too. But yeah, maybe we are letting our guards down a little too much because we feel like my family is all entirely vaccinated. Um, I guess, is there some sort of attitude like that? Like we've done our part. Um, what, what else can we do? I mean, meaning I, I, I obviously wear masks, social distance, not go to the game, you know, stay at home, homeschool. Yeah. You can still keep doing all that, but there does come a point, I think, where you're just saying that well, we've, we've done all we can do. Um, we've gotten our vaccinations. We'll get our booster shots when those are available and, and we're supposed to be taking those. And, um, yeah, maybe there's not much else that you can do on an individual level. I think population-wise, we could treat high school sports and youth sports more like we are professional sports in large venues where... Even vaccinated, would you want to be in the stands for the Bills game on Sunday? You know, it's outdoors, but probably not. I mean, I wouldn't trust my vaccine to protect me in that situation. I would hope that maybe being outdoors or whatnot would do the trick, but... Yeah, no, I don't think that you're protected from the vaccine in the way from maybe you're protected from getting sick, but from the virus spreading and catching it and spreading it to somebody else. And we're seeing that in sports. Lane, Lane Kiffin team is at Ole Miss 100% vaccinated. And he tests positive and missed the game. So I don't think we're nearly out of the woods as far as players testing positive and not being available at certain points in the season. But my point was that I was less concerned about whether the Bills might have to play a game with fewer wide receivers than you would be about high school sports and high school activities just leading to greater community spread and being a bigger problem than, you know, what happens on the field. That's an excellent point. I guess that's just the monstrosity of professional sports. And well, and the Bill Stadium is an interesting thing, too. It went from the county executive saying everybody had to be vaccinated to dropping that restriction to now uh, there is it is in the federal policy that large sporting venues should require vaccination or a negative test to you know to have thousands of people gather together so what will be the policy going forward maybe it's too difficult to change for this game but will there be a stricter uh, vaccine or negative test policy in the future I would be surprised if the protocols don't get harsher for the media, for everybody. And maybe we even get back to reduced attendance because there are still a lot of troubling things that are going on from a community standpoint. And yes, you can do everything in your power within your family and in your community, but um, the NFL and all these, there are business decisions that need to be made at some point um, with, uh, with a lot of companies. 
And they're going to want full stadiums for as long as they possibly can. And if they feel like squeezing out the media can accomplish some of that or save them some face, um, you know, in terms of being extra careful with the virus, well, it's going to be a hard, hard line to toe, right? And you're like, yeah, we don't want the media in here talking to our guys, but we're cool with, you know, 70,000 people in the stands. You know, they can all get it. Just don't get it into our locker room. Basically. Yeah, with with Josh Allen doing a lap around the ring of the stadium, giving everybody, you know, fist bumps and high fives. But yeah, we don't need these 15 reporters in our locker room uh, getting closer than six feet. There, there are so many, yeah, there's just so many, so many ways that I, it's too many variables, I guess. The NFLPA doesn't want us in the locker room is the line that it's as much coming from them as anybody. And yet they don't want, certainly don't want to mandate the vaccine. So riddle me that. But we are allowed in interview rooms where the players generally don't wear masks. I think the media does have to wear masks, but you know, that changes. The yeah. Team employees don't have to media members do. I don't know. I, I, it feels like a moving target much more than last year when one uniform set of rules for every player, for every staff member, for every person that, crossed through the security gate at the stadium. And now it's quite a bit different, but it is interesting. The Jonas point, Mark Polencars was, you know, early on, I believe one of the first, uh, not to toot his, toot his horn, uh, I'm sure he's listening, um, that, you know, said we're going to require. One of his assistants certainly is. <laughs> um, and I, you know, he was one of the first that I saw anyways to, you know, make that, proclamation i don't know if he had the necessary power to make it happen but it's happening a lot of other places there's a lot of stadiums that are saying yeah if you want to watch a game here that's fine like but you need to be vaccinated so we'll see how that evolves throughout the course of the season and and what all happens there and testing i think the nflpa is right to be pushing for more frequent testing of vaccinated players and Vaccinated people testing themselves or getting tested more frequently is something I think that we all need to participate in in order to get these numbers down. Yeah, I guess that's one of the benefits of being in the media and covering this team is that I have to get tested. They provide it uh, every two weeks. I'm, I'm tested. But you do um, and yeah. I don't. There's every different week, tiers. Yeah. That's another thing. I mean, maybe it only affects certain people in a small way, but some people go into the game on Sunday do have to get tested before arriving, and some people don't. That's right. Well, it's a good talk, boys. Thanks for everyone's thoughts. Matthew, this isn't goodbye. Not even close. You'll do this some more. CTBK might insist upon it. You've had direct direct communication from the K and CTBK want you on this program. Who am I? Who am I I'm to say one maker. way or the other? It's this this is the face that people log on to YouTube to see. In this. In the franchise. <laughs> uh, so for Matthew Fairburn of The Athletic, still of The Athletic, just going to be in a different town for The Athletic, and for Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times, I am Tim Graham thanking you the listener and or viewer 
for checking out another episode of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400 and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.